0: Today, we're going to be hitting Baptist history that we wanted to talk a little bit about. And this is a little unusual because we're going to have to jump ahead in time from, well, jump into that TARDIS that Mark was talking about, that we jump to the future about a thousand years or so. Because we finished last week with Gregory the Great right around the 500s. And now we're jumping ahead to about 1600 AD, just for today, as we transition into Life Group Greek. That's why we're doing Baptist today. Let me give you the scoop. So after Life Group Greek, all semester until the end of this year, 2015, Mark wants to start and pick up where he left off in church history And we're going to go back to around 500, 600 A.D. and start picking up some things there and move and truck through and eventually get to Baptist again. But this time it'll make even more sense because we've covered some important history that I'm going to fly by today. And then once we finish that church history, he wants to go back and do the New Testament survey that he interrupted with the context Bible two years ago or about a year and a half from now. So that is our plan but I thought it would be good to jump to Baptist history because you know after all we are a, a Baptist church. And I just wanted to take the opportunity to immerse you in a few Baptist things. I wanted to make a big splash about what make Baptists. Baptists. Are you following me? So, the first thing is name a Baptist. Do y'all any of you know a Baptist? You're all, you're all, you're all looking around at each other, which is good. But just because you're in this room, we don't assume that you're a Baptist. You don't have to become a Baptist, but we're going to talk about Baptist and the idea of the Baptists. Uh, raise your hand if you grew up Baptist and you're still Baptist. Baptist is your thing. Okay. A, a great, huge amount here. Okay. Hands down. How many of you grew up in a different church, although you were churched and have then since come into the Baptist church that you would consider yourself Baptist? Good. an Almost equal amount. Good. So how many of you, whether you grew up in the church or not, well, let's ask this. What if you didn't grow up in church at all? You came to Christ later, interested in spiritual things later, and now you find yourself in the Baptist church. Raise your hand. Okay. Now, if you've not grown up in church, or it doesn't matter, grown up in church or not, and you're here now, raise your hand if, even though you like Baptists, you wouldn't consider yourself a Baptist. You're in good company here. We're all fair. Let's see who you are. Who, there's And, oh, here we go. We got a few. Very good. Thank you for being honest. That's great. And you're not in trouble. It's perfectly fine. In this life group. We we welcome all, in fact, every last group at Champion Forest, you can be whomever you want and come and be a part. So probably a lot of you also come because we have such a great teacher who used to be Church of Christ and has a great testimony. Sometimes he just needs to share his testimony about his spiritual journey and uh, coming to uh, here at Champion Forest and able to teach and enlighten us with the things that he does, especially coming up with Greek. But I wanted to name a few other Baptists, some famous Baptists, maybe some famous Christians. You see what I did there with Christ? Again, I explained it last week that I put a chi, which is the first letter of Christ. You know, Jesus Christ. And Christ is not Jesus' last name. A lot of you may think that. His name is Jesus Christ. He's with the Christ family. Christ is, Christ is his title. It means anointed one, chosen by God. That's what it means, the Christ. It's, it's actually the Christ. He is Jesus, the Christ. They didn't really have last names back then anyway. So Kai is Christ. So we can abbreviate the word Christ with the letter Kai to be Christ. But you would only want to do that with people who know what you're doing. Otherwise, they think you're xing out Christ. And even though you're not, it seems that way. So for the weaker brother principle, never do that unless you know the group is on what's happening. So I put Christians, kai Shans, Christians, little Christ's. Who are some famous Baptist Christians? Anyone? Billy Graham. Ted Turner. (laughs) Okay, what about Lottie Moon and Annie Armstrong? Famous Baptist missionaries. Uh, We also have Charles Stanley, Adrian Rogers our Baptists. Uh, We already talked about Billy Graham. We have Charles Spurgeon, uh, Martin Luther King was a Baptist. John MacArthur and John Piper, just to name a few. John Piper is Reformed Baptist. We're going to talk more about that later. When we get to Calvinism and Arminianism, which is not the point of this talk, but we have to bring it in just to give you the update of what we're talking about. So other other than those Christian, oh, uh, some political Christians would be, uh, let's see, Harry Truman, Mike Huckabee, former Baptist pastor, Jesse Jackson, uh, John McC- John McCain, Ron Paul, Abraham Lincoln, Baptist. Uh, vice President Al Gore, another Baptist. Now, let me preface this too by saying that because I'm saying they're Baptist now does not mean that they are all still Baptist. They were either grown up in the Baptist church or became Baptist later or vice versa. So I'm not saying they're still in Baptist in good repute. These are just people that have been Baptist. That's that's all we're saying about them. Okay, so um, we want to move on to some business people that are Baptist. You have uh, Truett Cathy of the Chick Fil A fame. Also, yeah, give it up for Chick Fil A. They help us out a lot here at Champion Forest, as well of all churches, not just Baptist. Uh, James Cash Penny. You know who that is? J C. Penny. He was a Baptist. Um, also. J.L. Kraft of Kraft Macaroni and Cheese, Baptist. It's his noodles became baptized in cheese, if you'll allow me to say that. Otherwise, what are some pop people who are Baptist? Okay, this is an interesting list, and I'm just giving you a splattering. Glenn Campbell, Johnny Cash, Clay Aiken, Sinbad, the actor and comedian, which that's a rough name to be a Baptist and have a name like Sinbad, although... That's not his real name. Uh, That's just a nickname. I don't know how he got that. Kevin Costner, Jamie Foxx, Loretta Lynn are some others. And, you know, Jessica and Ashley Simpson are Baptists. Their dad used to be a youth minister in a Baptist church. I don't think that he's still employed there. I don't think he's still doing that. But uh, they at least grew up Baptist. Britney Spears, a Baptist at one point. I'm not sure her current status. I worked in Atlanta, Georgia before I came to Champion Forest in 2000 for a couple of years doing live TV broadcast at a church in uh, Marietta, Georgia, Roswell Street Baptist Church. The pastor is Dr. Nelson Price, quite a statesman. Uh, he did great for, he was on TV for 30 years, live television, whole church sermon. Uh, great to be with this man of the faith. Like I said, he is a statesman and just very mild mannered. You know, he's not flashy or or flighty, he's just, dear brother, we're glad that you're here today. Let's praise the Lord together. That's Dr. Nelson Price and uh, a great legacy. He told us when we were there that back when he was younger, he dated Britney Spears' grandmother. <laughs> Can you imagine if they had got together and got married the Spears legacy would be very, very different than it is. Just fun to think about. Any Baptists in the Bible? Well, John, obviously he is the Baptist. I would say Jesus. He got baptized, although we don't call him Jesus the Baptist. He's Jesus of Nazareth because that's his geographical location. That's how they use last names back in those days. Either what you did, what you were about, like today, you, uh, you hear people's last names like Baker. That person was probably named because they cooked. Or for me, Johnson. Uh, I was the son of a man, or not me, but my clan, a son of a man named John. Um, what are some other names? My wife, Etheridge, probably from a ridge called Eth over in Scotland or, or somewhere. So that's where last names came from. I could, I love etymology and all this stuff. I could talk on and on about it. But let me say this. John the Baptist, Jesus, and any other baptized believers in Jesus's time are not the religion Baptist because that came later historically. But we will talk about some who tried to draw a line of succession between New Testament church all the way to current Baptist today. You just can't find that historically uh, in history as it turns out. I want to talk about a few different types of Baptist. Have you ever heard of primitive Baptist? hard shell Baptist would be another name they were called. What about old-school Baptist? This is they. Um, and you might have heard about them, but you don't really know much about them. You see, I put tulip in there for you. Tulip are the five points of Calvinism or predestination. And it is set against Arminianism or free will. And this is a soteriological discussion that churches have had, particularly about a thousand years before Baptist came on the scene around 1609. I'm sorry, a hundred years before that, when uh, John Calvin was alive and the discussion was before that. He made it famous. uh, Jacobus Arminius, he was born about the time that Calvin died. So these guys never did debate each other. But we use them as the icons of Calvinism, Arminianism, predestination, free will. And then you'll find that Christians are all kind of in the middle uh, at different places. Let me just go through the tulip with you just so you can kind of know what we're talking about. Calvinism believes the T is for total depravity, that man is unable to do anything good on our own. Get that from the Bible. The Arminians would agree, total depravity. Now, unconditional election is the U, that the Calvinists believe that God elects people by no means of their own, by nothing, no condition that they can do. It's all God's choice. While the Arminians would believe in prevenient grace, that God gives the grace to allow the individual who is depraved to come to a decision and make a free will choice to accept or reject Christ. The L is for limited atonement, that although Jesus' death was adequate for everyone, the whole world, the cosmos, It was, it is only given to and allowed, made effective for God's particular elect in the Calvin camp. While on the Arminian camp, they would say just the opposite. Atonement is for all. You make the decision. The I is irresistible grace that if God elects you and gives his grace to you, you don't have a choice. You have to accept it because his grace is, is something that you cannot reject. Arminians say, yes, you can reject the grace because you have free will. You can choose or not choose. And finally, perseverance of the saints in the sense that once you're saved, you cannot lose that salvation. God elected you, he chose you, he gave you the grace, he will keep you. On the other extreme, the Arminians oftentimes believe in the sec- those who are secure in Christ. And what that means is that if you are saved, Christ can hold you, but some believe that you can get out of his grip because of choices that you make and thus lose your salvation. So the primitive hard-shell Baptists belong more to this this tulip. And like I was saying, there is every iteration in this soteriological discussion of Calvinism, Arminianism, everything in between. So you might be interested to know what's a common Baptist church or or maybe a Southern Baptist church, where would they fall in general? And where does Champion Forest fall? There's no official position in this. It is a decision for the Christian who's studying and going deeper. But uh, I don't know if y'all can see the percentages on these. This question was asked by Lifeway, a Southern Baptist group. And Lifeway asked... Two questions among many, one to the pastor of a Southern Baptist church, would you consider your church Calvinistic or, and then a separate question, would you consider your church Arminianistic? And the answers are quite insightful. Half of both questions strongly disagree. So the ones asked, are you Calvin? Half those pastors strongly disagree that we're Calvin. Half of them also disagree that we're Arminian. Only 8% said, yep, we're in this camp. And then about 9% said we're in this camp. So everyone else is somewhere in between, maybe picking different parts of these. And we're going to see today that the Baptists would, would do this as well. Uh, all the different kinds of Baptists. Right now we're talking about the primitive hard-shell Baptists. They mostly claim to be successionists, that they never got into the Roman Catholic Church. There was a separate and parallel stream of Baptists from the time of... Jesus and his apostles when they established the first church, the early church, and it continues on till today. Another group would be the free will Baptist, as you might imagine, they can't, of tulip. They agreed with the T, but they had to get rid of the ulip because it didn't jive with them. They were also known for a lot of foot washing and uh, so do primitive Baptists on, on occasion. Seventh day Baptists, when do you think they worship? On the seventh day, not just seven days, but on the seventh day is their worship service like a seventh day Adventist. Um, they also mostly believe that they are successionists, succeeded from the early first church. There are missionary Baptists. These were the guys that got on the missionary mission trip zeal a lot sooner than the other ones, seeing the importance of getting the word out. And they agree with the T and the P of Tulip, but not the Uli. So they got the Uli out of there. Finally, secessionists, again, they are. And then another group, these are not all the groups, because there are a lot of Baptist groups, and we'll tell you why. But American Baptists, before 1845, a big conglomerate, but in 1845, at the time of the Civil War, they had a split. So they became, the Northern Baptists went one way, the Southern Baptists went the other way. Guess which way they went? Well, the North went North and the South went South. Yes, you're following me. Now, the North American Baptists, they were thinking, you know, it's kind of weird that we have this geographical location attached to our name. What if someone in the South wants to be a Northern Baptist? That's a little awkward. So they went back and changed their name to American Baptist. Southern Baptists have kept that geographical location. But every once in a while in the Southern Baptist Convention, you will hear that they want to uh, vote to lose Southern and probably replace it with something else. And it has to pass two Southern Baptist conventions simultaneously. The vote has to be pro in both cases in order to make that happen. And although it's come close, it's not happened yet, but it still may one day. So speaking of Southern Baptists, I have this next chart for you. I'm sorry, this is not in your handout. In fact, they said in the handouts, some of you have handouts with printing on only one side. If you're missing printing on the other side, you will need to switch that out when you leave because this is Mark's lesson on Baptist. I put two of his lessons on Baptist so that you can go back and check because I always want you to know what Mark says. I'm mostly speaking today from a professor of mine at seminary, Leon Macbeth, is one of the high-ranking Baptist historians ever, uh, Leon Macbeth. I had him as one of my professors in seminary and he... Um, I'm kind of following along his path, but as you can see, it'll follow right along Mark's path too, because it's history. It's there. And we're just talking about it. So on this map, I want you to see that the blue are counties that have mostly Catholic people. They went to each county, found out what the majority of group is. And they said, it's kind of like the electoral college. You're Catholic. You're Catholic. The red is Southern Baptist. The gray in the West, that's Mormon churches. Uh, We also have the orange is Evangelical Lutheran. If you can see the colors, green is United Methodist Church. That county has more United Methodist churches than any other religion. And um, you can't see there's hardly any brown, but that's other religions. But you can see that Southern Baptists are the second largest, second only to Roman Catholic or Catholic churches, which majority is. And... Uh, I found that very, very interesting. I want to real quick talk about the term Baptist because that defines where Baptists got their name. Now, Baptists are not perfect. They're not always good. Sometimes they are. A lot of times there are a lot of good people who are Baptists. They had a lot of grief over the years and people have a lot of bad, a lot of people have bad taste in their mouth concerning the word Baptists. Well, that's not unusual, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons why. But the Greek word, the Greek verb for baptist, or baptize, is baptizo. You can see it at the top, the noun, baptisma. So, Latin got it from Greek, and they pretty much just transliterated. So, you have baptizare and baptisma. The French got it from the Latin, baptise, and bapteme, as the noun, baptism. The Middle and Old English, got it from the French. And then that led us to our English words for baptism is baptize or baptism, which you are very familiar with. So if I transliterate the Greek letters, you're memorizing the Greek alphabet, right? So I don't really even have to transliterate it because you know what letter corresponds to our English letter. But for those of you who are still working on it, I've set it here for you. And just let me say that Mark and I both are saying, you do not have to memorize the Greek alphabet to get the most out of life group Greek. It's just fun for some of you who want to, except for the fraternity and sorority people who already have it memorized that you bragged about last week. Um, you don't, and we're not gonna teach you Greek in life group Greek. So don't feel like if I come, I'm gonna have to do homework. That won't be the case at all. You will be amazed at what you will learn from Greek words and syntax. Uh, coming up in Life Group Greek. So this is a little precursor to it. Uh, here's our word. Now, underneath each of those, I try to line up the letters, baptize and baptism. Again, almost a transliteration. This is what's so great about Greek, a very specific language compared to English, which is very ambiguous. I can say love, and what do I mean? I love you. Do I love you like a really good friend, or do I love you like I love a milkshake? There's a big difference between that, but I know what I'm thinking, but I want you to feel good. So I'm like, I love you, but I'm thinking like a milkshake. I mean, you're, you're just a, a a great person that, you know, gives me what I want and makes me feel good. But I wouldn't, you know, if you're in a car accident, I wouldn't drive down and, you know, take the door off or something. Maybe I would. I would. If you, if you called me, I would. I'm just kidding. But you understand what I'm saying. It's very ambiguous language. We have to clarify when you're speaking English, even as a teacher, it's rough getting your point across the way that you imagine it in your head. So Greek, on the other hand, is extremely particular. We have several words for love. And if you want to find out what a word means, if you can find out what the Greek word meant based on how else it was used in other places in the Bible, other writings outside of scripture, you can get a sense for what those words mean and it becomes more real to you. It becomes better defined and you're better, better able to take God's word and use it the way that it was meant to. Here we have uh, the definition for the verb to dip or submerge. And one of the reasons we know this is that Polybius used this word. He's not in the Christian church, he used this word to talk about sunken vessels uh, about, I don't know, it was like 150 BC, before Christ even came. But a ship that had sunk, he would use the word baptizo, that it was sunk or "baptisma" it was baptized in the water. For them, they just heard it was covered with the water. So to understand this word with this Greek idea would shed light on all the different ideas that we have in our culture about how to baptize, right? Most Protestants, as well as Catholics, believe that you should baptize, but what is the mode of that baptism? One of the things about Baptists is that they're always, always, always trying to get back to the New Testament. That is our guide not the Roman Catholic Church that became so convoluted and corrupt and had so many problems and kind of went their own way. Baptists wanted, as well as others, to reform back to what the New Testament church was about. That's one of the big reasons that I'm a Baptist, perfect or not. The noun, ceremony of a baptism, the result of being baptized. We have uh, Baptist beginnings that we see in history right around 1609. And that is a big plus and minus. Baptists were not favored when they left the Catholic church or wherever they came from before they started doing the things that Baptists were doing, which were getting rid of infant baptism. Why would you baptize one who is not yet saved? The Catholics believe that's if, if they don't get saved before they die as a baby, they go to purgatory. And in fact, it was interesting when I saw a, um, a bab- an infant baptism. They start outside the church. Some of you probably know you've seen it because the baby is still in sin and outside the church and they go through some questions with the godparents and they come in and they do some other things and the signs of the cross and, and then at one point they pour water and that's just their mode of baptism. But Baptists were saying, Is it right to baptize a baby? And if we're going to get down to the nitty gritty, what does baptize even mean? Let's get back to the mode that is proper as best we can tell because none of us were there. So I was trying to think of a symbol for baptism. I couldn't put a picture of a Baptist. So here is water. That's the closest thing that I would think of that would be a symbol maybe for a Baptist church. I want to dip into real quick Anabaptists. Anabaptists are not well baptists are not derived from Anabaptist although one might think so. The word Anna comes from the Greek word ana ana baptizo which means what do you think it means? To baptize again. Ana means again or to do over. So it was a derogatory term for anyone who would baptize somebody after they were baptized as a baby. And the Catholic Church did not like it at all, including the Church of England, where it was uh, most were Catholics at the time. For a group to come out and say, no, that baptism did not count. You need to be baptized later Uh, among Baptists, also Anabaptists, uh, were persecuted and martyred. In fact, uh, King Ferdinand, he passed a, degree, a decree or said that anyone caught baptizing again and a baptizing should be baptized a third time by drowning. That was how they dealt with these splinter groups who were trying to go off and mess up what was already a good thing in the Catholic Church. Of the Roman Catholic Church. And I am not saying the Roman Catholic Church is, is bad or evil at all. I'm just saying at this time, there was a lot of corruption. People were looking to reform. So that's a quick word about Anabaptists. Also, Anabaptists, they believe, uh, took the Sermon on the Mount literally where you, you should never ever take a vow. that Which means you cannot serve in political office. Do not serve in the military because they're pacifists. And so this is one reason why Baptists are often saying, you know, hey, we're not Anabaptists, although there was an influence with baptism. Um, They're very different than us. We did not derive or splinter out from the Anabaptists. So like I was saying, in in England, most were Catholic back in the 7th century. We talked about the issues that they had, corrupt, selfish, convoluted religion. Baptists wanted to go back to a simpler New Testament type service. So they began a little bit of reform. There were several reformers. The Puritans were among some of them. They wanted to reform the church from within, stay apart, but say, hey guys, can't we be reasonable? Let's not do these things anymore, including baptism of infants. There were some that said, there is no way that we tried it your way. It's not gonna happen. We need to separate, remove ourselves from the uh, Catholic church. And so they are the separatists. They wanted to do reform from without. A couple of things about Baptists. There were two particular groups, the general Baptists and the particular Baptists. So the particular, I'm sorry, the general Baptists believed in general atonement. They were more Arminian in their thinking. And um, they separated out, which was very dangerous because of the persecution. There was uh, of the, Separatist, Baptist, General Baptist Church, there was a group that were led by Robinson Brewer and Bradford. They later became Puritans and they were the ones that were called the, Pil- the Pilgrim Fathers that settled in Plymouth Rock and brought a group of their Puritans. They were originally General Baptists. but you didn't know that. They don't teach that in history, do they? John Smith and Thomas Hellis. they were a part of another group that they were all one group, but they split because it was so dangerous. They wanted to go separate ways. And so uh, John Smith led out a group. And he went to um, Holland, Amsterdam, Holland, took a group. Because in Amsterdam, they were, had religious liberty and religious freedom, which you did not have in England. So they went. And that's where he met up with the Mennonites and uh, started looking at baptism and some other things. But he, he didn't agree with everything, so he did not become a Mennonite. And um, the thing that they fought against mostly was their uh, infant baptism and also their um, covenant. They were all a part of his church by covenant. And John Smith said, okay, looking at what we know now as we have journeyed along, we are an invalid church. So this man is a mover and a shaker. He says, we are disbanding because we are not valid. So they disbanded their church. And then he invited them to come back. And this time, if you come back, if be a part. We're going to reform with baptism of a believer after you're saved and also by a confession of faith. Now, there's a sprinkler right there. They still sprinkled when they baptized because they hadn't gotten to the full immersion yet. So he had to set up a sprinkler system, if you will, in order to get all of this group. In fact, he baptized himself. Because there was no other group, the Mennonites and other Puritans, that would be worthy to baptize him. So he did that, and through a confession of faith, they re- rejoined as a general Baptist church. They went back to England, and in England, in 1611, they established the First Baptist Church of England. Now, how many of you know of a First Baptist church? They're all over the place. Why does everybody have to have a first Baptist church? Is it like a competition? If you get there first, I'm first. I'm putting it on my sign first Baptist church. And then if you're not first, you're second. And why don't we have a third? If I was looking to start a church and I am not. But if I was looking to start a church, I would call it the last Baptist church. Because Jesus said the first shall be last, but the last will be first. Seems appropriate. This was not a religious first Baptist church. It would just happen to be the first Baptist church recorded in history. There in England, 1611 and in 1650, there were 47 general Baptist churches in England. Their theology stemmed around general atonement, baptism of the believer still sprinkling, religious liberty, Religious liberty is important. They didn't believe that they should just be free as Baptists. Anyone could worship any way that they wanted to. That's what religious liberty is. That's why our pastor David Fleming said, if the Muslims want to have a church service here in the United States, that's fine. Because we practice religious liberty. Everyone can worship the way they want. Now, through evangelism and study of God's word, we may bring people to different places at different conclusions, but religious liberty is a huge banner that Baptists wave. They wanted it themselves, and they were willing to give it for everyone, or they wanted everyone to have it. <clears throat> also, you could lose your salvation was a general proponent of general Baptists. Now, particular Baptists were the other group that went along. They had particular atonement. They were much more like the Calvins. They uh, God's Salvation was only for particular people. Um, They were more of an independent instead of a separatist group. Um, There were one group that was started by Pastor Jacobs. And uh, names are not important. Dates are only somewhat, somewhat important. But I'm telling you for this reason that this church became known as the JLJ because of the first pastor, Jacobs, and the two subsequent pastors pastored together. They're Lathrop and Jesse. And this LJL, I'm sorry, JLJ church, uh, in 1633, some disbanded and formed another church. 1638, uh, a lot of, some of them came back and they received at that time, believers baptism for this particular Baptist group. Now the historical references are difficult to find for this reason, because of the persecution that people that were persecuting and killing Baptist, as well as other Puritans and, um, Groups, Mennonites, those groups, uh, Methodists were a part of them as well. They would oftentimes destroy any historical evidence, covenants, or things that were written up because they wanted to wipe their ideas off the face of the earth, didn't want anyone to have it. So some of, a lot of the history has been lost. So this is just what we know. For the particular Baptists, they um, believed in a particular atonement, Calvinist. Immersion by baptism eventually, a few years after 1638, they began full immersion baptism. Now, why is that significant? What is baptism? The thing that washes your sin so that you can be saved? No. It's very obvious from the three of the two thieves on the cross with Jesus. One repents of his sin. And what does Jesus tell him? After you're baptized, you can be with me in paradise, right? No, he, he did not say that. So it's very obvious to us as New Testament Bible-believing Christians that baptism is not necessary for salvation, although some religious groups do believe that. Baptism for us is not even washing away sins, although you can look at it symbolically that way. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans 6, and this is where we get this and say this, but when you baptize someone, oftentimes they'll say, we are buried together with him and go under the water because as a Christian, as a new Christian, you have to die to self. It's a very difficult understanding for, especially a young child, to understand the complex thought of dying to self. It's easy to believe that God loves me. He wants me to live with him forever, that's great. Everyone would sign up for that if they had a chance. David Fleming tells a story about the lady who said, yes, I want Jesus Christ. I wanna add him to the other gods that I worship because I want another God that loves me and said, you can't do that. You have to die to self. Everything else is gone, and you raise to walk in a a new life. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new or better. Rendered perhaps becoming new in that path of righteousness that you are that we are all on. Not perfect, but dying to self, and that's what baptism pictures. And someone said, "Well, back in." Jesus' day when they were baptizing first, John the Baptist and his group, they didn't bury people six feet under. So why? But even if you're in a hewn out cave, they still lay down the dead. So laying down is a sign of, of death and going under the water. What a beautiful symbol of what's gone on in the Christian's life. And where do you do baptism? Wherever there are people, because baptism is a symbol to testify the change that came about in your life. So imagine if you're the person that just wants to, yeah, Jesus Christ, sure, I'll follow him. Okay, you have to go down to the river and we're gonna dunk you under and bring you back up. What? (laughs) Okay, I was just wanting to kind of go along to get along. There's no sense in going through all this pomp and circumstance. Baptism doesn't like, It's not designed to keep people out who who are not serious, but I think it adds to that as well. It is a symbol and a testimony of what's gone on in your life. Another reason that I love being Baptist. Moving on to some distinctives of Baptists. It's in an acronym of Baptist. I would never seen this before until I was researching this. I knew the distinctives, but never as an acronym for Baptist. It, it works mostly good. Uh, Be biblical authority. Baptists always, always, mostly, always getting back to the Bible for their authority. And that's it. No one can come along and say, well, I feel and God told me that's fine. If God told you something different that's in the Bible, we're not going to do it. The Bible is a standard. Another great reason that I love being a Baptist because I know the standard. I know that it, di- it will not change. It does not change. I can always go back to it. And Baptists are big in personal um, autonomy of the local church. Baptists are not like Methodists or uh, Anglican church where they assign different pastors in different places and bishopric and all these things. It's a big organization that flows down. Every Baptist church is autonomous. They are independent. They are by themselves and no convention, including the Southern Baptist Convention, cannot dictate what this church or any other Baptist church does. Why do we all align together? There's power in a group. We can resource, take our resources together, our money and all those things, and be able to do more in the name of Jesus. But no one's going to tell us what to do. This is the spirit of the Baptist. Imagine those early reformers who were being threatened by life in their third baptism, other persecution in their family. But to be able to say, this is important. This is the way that I see. Bibles were becoming a lot more prevalent at this time. The King James was just written, finished in 1611. But other church uh, Bibles before that where the common man were able to read God's word and understand. Because before that, it was just what the priests were telling you. So it makes sense why at this point in history, the reformers started to jump into reform. Two ordinances. We practiced practiced both today. The Lord's Supper and believer's baptism. Believer's baptism means you're baptized as a believer and by full immersion. In order to be a member of, of a Baptist church, not of a life group, separate membership qualifications. But for the church, you have to be saved and you have to be baptized. And the Lord's Supper is a part of the two ordinances of the church. Immersion baptism, enough said. Uh, Saved, baptized church membership. Again, you cannot be a part of the membership of the church proper unless you are saved. Two offices, we have pastors and deacons. Uh, some groups have Presbyterian uh, elders, Presbyteros elders, uh, and bishops and other things, which uh, Baptists say that all of those are pastors, just different words, names for those. And then deacons who are servants, it comes from the Greek word diaconos. You look back at the Greek, that means a servant, not an elder board of a church. So based on that biblical word, we take our deacons to be The servants, the ones that are out there in the trenches getting stuff done. They may also be a sounding board, but they're not a governing body. Uh, In some churches they are, and uh, I would say they shouldn't be. They kind of take that on themselves, but that's another sermon for another day. Last thing for the plural Baptists is we have separation of church and state, where the church cannot be governed by the state. That's a big deal to us and uh, a lot of religions. But Baptists can speak to the state, hold public office, try to help pass laws and influence people to do what's right according to God's laws, which are universal. But the best thing that Baptists can do is to spread the gospel, save people one person at a time, maybe not so they become a Baptist, but I think that's a great choice, but to be a part of a Bible-believing church where they can grow and learn and study for themselves. This is the other thing about Baptists. Uh, very fierce focus on getting God's word, not based on what somebody else tells you, but what you study yourself. So Mark can come up here and tell us a lot of great things and they are great. But if you're not studying at home alone, even checking up on Mark to making sure he's got his T's crossed and his I's dotted, you can send him one of those emails that he sometimes gets, you know, brother Mark, uh, you were speaking the other day and, Although, if, And for me especially, always send me emails. If you, I say something weird or you have more questions about, send me emails. I love it. I love to talk about it because that is worship. I think that's the highest form of worship that we can talk about the things of God. I welcome it. And I'm also not perfect, so I say things wrong or I communicate wrong. And I even believe things wrong. But I hope to progressively become more and more like the Bible teaches because God wrote it for me to be everything that I need to be in this day, in this culture, in this time, regardless of the laws and the the presidents and the people and the influences, regardless of all of that, God has given us a standard that we can live by. We can know it ourselves and the Holy Spirit comes along to grow us up. If you're not doing that, you're almost laughing in the face of these great Baptist reformers who did what they did in order to allow us the freedom at least to do what we do. Now, I've got about another 10 minutes, I want to do two more things with you as we transition into Life Group Greek. I want to take you on a quick trip into your mind and I want to uh, do one quick transition into Life Group Greek. I want you to set everything down, clear your mind. By the way, this is not a meditation exercise. This is not new age at all. This is just, I want you to imagine you standing on the shore of, looking out at a vast ocean. Well, most of you don't have to imagine. I put a picture up for you. Now, you'll notice that the picture is not Galveston, okay? If if you're in Galveston right now in your mind, please get up and move (laughs) to a different beach just for our purposes today. It's a fun place to go visit, but for us, we could go anywhere. So head to the Bahamas, go to Hawaii. Where? Go go to Florida, beautiful beaches in Florida. Mississippi, east of the Mississippi. Yes, we want the clean end of the Gulf, not the dirty end of the Gulf. So, if you would, just you don't have to close your eyes. Can you want to? But I just want you for a moment, few moments, to imagine you standing on the shore, looking out across the ocean, and you've stepped just inside the surf, and you can squish the sand underneath your feet. The weather, it's it's daytime, it's in the middle of the day, but the weather is perfect. You're not hot. You can hear the seagulls. You hear the waves brushing against the shore. It feels good. It sounds good. It smells good. You are in a good place. And you're just enjoying it. And you look out and you see the beauty of it. And just in your mind, you're worshiping God. Thank you, God, for creating this. Now, a few moments, some kids come along. They're not twerk kids they're not torpy kids they're they're nice and kind kids they're they're fun kids they might even be your kids they might be your grandkids they might be your favorite nephew or niece or maybe they're your favorite neighbor kids but they come running up and they say hey let's get in the water and play right here in the ocean and you're thinking I did that I've done that I don't need to do that I'm good right here but I have hired a lifeguard slash babysitter to come and to play with you. They have been to school. They have the best toys. They are perfect safety record and they will have the most fun with you. And I'm going to stand here and watch. And they do and they have fun. And you're just enjoying this and it just makes you feel a little bit better seeing the joy out there, feeling the joy in here. Everyone's happy. Your kids come up after a few weeks of this because you're doing it every day. Life is good. And your kids come out and say, hey, why don't you come in with us this time? And you start to think about when you were younger and maybe some things that you did with your parents or uh, some older significant person that was cool. You made some great memories. You don't want to deny the kids this opportunity. So you say, you know what? I'm going to go through the trouble. I got to go back to the condo. I got to put on my swimsuit. I got to put on suntan lotion. I got to put my hair up. I got to do all But I'm going to do it because I know it's important. This is going to be good. I could do this. And you do. And you get in and you have fun. You're making great memories in this beautiful ocean. It's just you and the kids. There aren't any brats or anybody else around. It's just y'all and you're having fun. And you do this for several weeks and it's great. And you're making these great memories and you're checking stuff off. I am good at what I'm doing here. And then the kids go in one day and an older gentleman or, or lady come up comes up to you and they say, hey, have you ever gone a little bit deeper out there? <laughs> I have before, I swam around, but uh, have you heard the stories about sharks lately? It's not good to go too deep out there in the ocean. You don't know what's out there. Hey, I tell you what, if you go out there, you will enjoy it. It's about three or four weeks that you think through this. And finally you decide, you know what? I'll give the guy the benefit of the doubt or the gal the benefit of the doubt. I will go a little bit deeper. And so you start walking out and it's pretty rough on top because the waves are just splashing around and water's going up your nose. Your guide says, if you go underwater, just before the ocean crests, it'll be a lot better than if you stay up and it knocks you over. So you see the the wave coming, you think he might be crazy, but you go down underneath and the wave passes over and where you are is tranquil. You think, well, this is great. I wish I could see something down here because I bet it's beautiful. It's a beautiful ocean, crystal clear water. And the guy says, well... Well, actually, this is even better. Uh, you you kind of feel a tap, the presence of something. You open your eyes just out of instinct. And you're like, oh no, I'm opening my eyes, but I can see under the water. That's strange. I figured it would have burned. Have you ever burned your eyes in the ocean, salty water? Did you know that you can open your eyes underwater and it won't burn? It's because when the oxygen mixes with the salt, that's what burns. As long as you stay underwater with your eyes open, no burn, you can open your eyes and I've done it. It's there. Trust me, when you go, you're in, next time you're going to test me out. I know, send me an email. When you come back up, close your eyes, come up, wipe the water away, open your eyes, much better. That, going underneath, opening your eyes, and all of a sudden you can see all this stuff, and your God says, hey, what if you take some equipment? I've got a snorkel, I've got a mask, I've got some flippers. You can go around here, there's a reef out here, some beautiful fish. You give it a couple of days, and you're like, I'll give that a try. So you go deeper. And you're seeing great things and you're amazed every time you come up and you're sitting around the dinner table, you're telling your family about all this great stuff that's happening. Because earlier you were like, I'm fine on the edge of the ocean and I've seen all the great things. I watch TV. I know what's down there. I don't have to go and experience it. I even went one time to an IMAX with a 3D glasses and I saw the whole under of the ocean in 3D and it was awesome. I'm good with that. But now you're getting a taste of what happens when you go a little bit deeper with the right equipment. And what you're able to experience and do. So your God says, hey, you know, if you put an iron lung on, you get better flippers. You can go even deeper. Okay, well, I've given you the benefit of the doubt. Let's go. Next day, you're on a boat and you go out into the ocean. Before You can't even see land now. You got trained on the way. You have your license now. It's a miracle. Your, your scuba license. You're just imagining you go down and you're swimming around and it is better than you ever thought. You're seeing things that you didn't even see in 3D and you are experiencing it because you have decided to go deeper and to go further with the right equipment. It makes it great. You come up and on the boat, you cannot stop talking about how great it is. Is. The next day you go down again, your scuba, and all of a sudden you see the school of jellyfish. Now you know what jellyfish are, and you know to avoid jellyfish. You turn around and you see a silhouette of a shark. And you come up out of that water as fast as you can, and you say, Well, that was fun. I am not going there again because it is dangerous. There are things that can hurt me, and your guide says, Listen, there are forces in the world that want to keep you from enjoying. This experience, but this is what you are created to do. And you say, Well, I have spent a lot of money and I've spent a lot of time. It would be crazy just to throw it all away. It, and this is costing me more than I'd imagine. My hobby fund and my budget is zip, but it's really worth it. And you go down again, and with the right guidance, You can avoid things that are not good and things that are hurt for you or even things that are for your fear to keep you out of the water, to keep you from doing that which you are created to do. Now, you go back home to your family and you have some young kids that you influence, some middle-aged kids, some older kids, whatever, whatever other people that are not even in your family. And you say, you know what? I've spent most of my life standing on the shore with my feet just inside, enjoying that I've got it good for the rest of my life. But I have experienced something that has told me that I was created for this and it feels right and I can do it. And so you want, you don't want them to have the same experience of being 50, 60, 70, 40, 30 years old, standing still standing on the edge of the ocean thinking, I've already played around in the ocean, I don't need to do that. I'm going to leave that to the other guys. I want you to become scuba certified. I want you to be able to go deeper and experience it now because if you do, you'll be able to influence more with what you're learning than I did in this short time that I just can't stop evangelizing about it because I'm so excited about what God has done in me, allowing me to do what I'm created to do. And every time you go down deep, you learn a little bit more, you experience something more and it's yours. And you come back up out of the water every time and you even start going to some conventions And at the conventions used to, you would go to those and people would just talk about things that you had no reference for. Now you come to that service of worship and you're able to contribute because you've been there and you've experienced it. So you still hear the lecture about other oceans to dive in, other books to dig down deep in, other reefs in order to explore, other verses to come to terms with. And as you're learning that, but you're also worshiping the creator of the ocean who created you to do what you're doing now, going deeper. That's our new life group theme at Champion Forest Baptist Church. Going deeper for 2015 and 2016. Our desire is to bring you from people that come to the lecture And set you on a journey of not only going deeper yourself personally. And equipping you to be able to do that. And to get out of the comfort zone that this is really good. I could do this until I die and still check off some boxes. And it's not that none of you are going deeper. But our desire as a church, as a life group. Is to equip and to bring us to that point of moving on as we Go deeper and study the things of the Lord. That's our prayer for you. I'm out of time, so I won't do the third thing. Uh, I respect your time. Thank you for your kind attention today and uh thinking with me along the shore to uh, go deeper. As we start Life Group Greek, this is exactly what we're about and what Mark's about in our desire to equip us all to be able to go deeper on our own. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thankful today for the way that you invite us to come along and to go deeper into your word. And Father, as we do, we wait expectantly for your spirit to reveal to us. Allow us the opportunity to upgrade our worship as we talk about you because of the great things that you're doing, more than we could imagine heretofore because we've imagined and experienced a lot of great things, Father. We know that you're a holy and awesome and miraculous God that will take us even further because that's the reason you created us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.